guest this week is Jake Stein, CEO of Stitch Data, a startup who some of you might already have heard Tristan Handy from Fishtown Analytics talk about on the podcast a few weeks ago as their data integration company and tool of choice. I'd heard of Stitch Data and Jake before that episode, and Tristan's comment reminded me that I ought to get Jake on drill to detail. So Jake, welcome to the show, and it's nice to meet you at last. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's really great to be here. So, Jake, what is it that you do and what does Stitch Data do then? Just give us a bit of a background there and uh, what your mission is and what kind of company you are. Sure. Uh, so uh, Stitch's mission uh, and the mission of, of everyone on our team uh, is to inspire and empower data-driven people. Um, that, that may seem kind of broad. So the, the thing that our product actually does and, and what we try to help our customers with on a day-to-day basis uh, is just kind of solve the, the – some people call it the data diaspora – um, the, the fact that people use lots of different tools to run their business, and Stitch is, is no exception here. We have 25 people, and we have over 30 different SaaS tools and different data stores that we use. Uh, and we want to, when we want to get a 360-degree view of our business, we need to get the data from all those different tools into one centralized location. Uh, for us, it's Redshift. For some other people, we help them out with BigQuery or Snowflake or other databases. Um, but, but in a nutshell, what we do is we help people get all their data into their data warehouse. Okay. Okay. So you yourself and uh, and Fishtown Analytics had a sort of common root in RJ Metrics. So what was the kind of history there, and how did how did the company form, and uh, what's the kind of link with uh, Fishtown and uh, and um, and Tristan Handy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's all uh, it's been an interesting ride. So I uh, was one of two co-founders of RJ Metrics. Uh, we started that now about uh, nine years ago. It was uh, myself and another guy named Bob Moore. Uh, and that was a full stack business intelligence and data analytics software company. So we were handling everything from data collection to data warehousing, transformation, uh, and our own visualization layer, uh, all of which was you know, built in-house based on you know, things like PHP, MySQL, uh, Clojure, and whatnot. Uh, and over the course of that time, one of the trends we observed was that uh, we were well-suited to target I would say people that were a little bit less data sophisticated who wanted you know, everything from one vendor, uh, who maybe didn't need as much control and flexibility over the different pieces of their stack and really wanted you know, one, one vendor to solve the whole problem for them. Uh, but more and more, we saw customers who were looking for more control, more power, and the ability to choose the best of breed tool at every different piece of the stack. And that combined with the rise of some of these cloud data warehouses, things like Redshift and BigQuery, uh, we got more more people asking us, uh, saying, hey, you know, we want to use something like Looker or Mode or Periscope or Chartio for the visualization layer. Uh, but we want to use you for the, the ETL and the data consolidation. So yeah, eventually we, we launched a product uh, called RJ Metrics Pipeline, uh, which was uh, just uh, the ETL portion of our solution. Uh, and then about six or eight months after that, we ended up selling most of RJ Metrics to Magento, which is an e-commerce platform company. They were our biggest partner, and, and RJ Metrics, you know, maybe three quarters of our customers uh, were in e-commerce, uh, and most of those were Magento. So they were always a big partner of ours. It was a natural fit. Um, but we, it was important for us to keep what was then called RJ Metrics, which is now, uh, excuse me, was then called RJ Metrics Pipeline, now called Stitch. We wanted to keep that separate just because we thought that had a, a really, it was early days for it. It was growing very fast. And in my view, it has a, a bigger market opportunity than the original RJ product. Um, so that was kind of a spin out as part of that deal where original RJ Metrics is now part of Magento and Stitch is a standalone business. Uh, the way that it relates to uh, Fishtown is uh, Tristan and a few other folks that were former colleagues of mine at RJ 
at the time of that deal, they kind of um, went to set up this separate analytics uh, consultancy around uh, an open source project that we had actually incubated at RJ called DBT, uh, which is around doing tra- yeah, which which you guys talked about on that uh, podcast episode, which I thought was great, uh, and it was really a tool for doing transformations and modeling inside these new next generation data warehouses, and. It fits really well with the Stitch philosophy where we're getting data, the raw data into the data warehouse. And so we end up uh, partnering together with Fishtown on lots and lots of customers. Um, so we're not directly co-workers with them, but still end up uh, working with them on lots of deals. So they're, they're good friends and business partners of ours. Interesting. And you're all based in the same city, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So we're all in Philadelphia. They're... Um, we're actually stitches in one of the floors that RJ Metrics used to occupy, uh, and Fishtown is about uh, four blocks away. So uh, it's easy to uh, to meet a person as well. Interesting. Okay, so so it's interesting that you guys went down the product route, and uh, Fishtown is a kind of more, I guess, more of a consultancy, but again based around an open source product. I mean, is it is product been an area that you've always been interested in? Is it always been the kind of your main focus, really? I think it has, and, and you know, I think it's. It obviously takes uh, a lot of different things to make a company successful uh, in analytics, or, or really anything. You know, you need great products, and for lots of companies, you also need some element of services or consulting or advice in order to implement them and get value out of them. So, uh, you know, I think my bias has always been on the product side. But you know, even at RJ, we had a services team, uh, and obviously at Stitch, you know, there's there's some level of service we provide, and when people uh, need a lot more, we refer a lot of folks over. To you know, we know they do good work and we have a network of other partners as well that kind of implement things on top of Stitch, uh, sometimes in traditional BI, sometimes in traditional, uh, excuse me, in, in entirely different categories. Uh, but yeah, we're, our view is that it's tough enough to be good at one thing. Uh, so we're really trying to, to focus on the, the product element of it and work with a network of partners uh, to do some of the other things that are, that are also important. Okay, so Jake, so you, you mentioned Stitch there, and you mentioned that you are sort of in the ETL business, and but it's it's not quite the same as kind of we worked with before in that you some of the transformation happens in the database, some of it is more to do with you and more moving data around. I mean, t- just just talk us through, you know, paint a picture of what uh, Stitch is, and I guess the problem it's solving and the bits of the the tasks that you do and bits that other bits tools do and so on. What what does Stitch actually do, really? Yep, yep, great, really good question. Um, so. If you think about uh, a modern company, you know they're using, like I mentioned before, lots of different tools to run their business. You know they might be advertising on Facebook ads or Google. Uh, they probably have something like Google Analytics or Mixpanel tracking events on their website. Uh, their website is probably backed by MySQL or Postgres or some other operational database. Uh, they have uh, CRM from Salesforce, marketing automation from Marketo, uh, customer support from Zendesk, payment processing from Stripe. You know the list goes on and on. So. Each one of those tools has some kind of API. It might be um, like an ODBC or SQL interface. It might be uh, a REST API. Maybe you can get JSON or XML out of it. But there's there's some way to get data out of all those different things. Uh, and so what Stitch does is we have um, basically these, these connectors um, to, I think we're up to 64 different data sources now. Uh, and each one of those pulls data from one of those different uh, data sources. Uh, and can pulls it all into our consolidated cloud uh, data pipeline, uh, and then we load the data into the customer's data warehouse. And what's different from what you might think of as, as the traditional ETL tools is that our goal is to do as little transformation as possible. We want to deliver the custom the data to the customer's data warehouse in uh, as close as we can to the raw original data. 
we can't get it 100% and it's not desirable to get it 100% because let's say, um, you know, when you're putting data into Redshift, it supports some very particular data types. So we need to convert the data from wherever it comes from into the data types that are supported by Redshift. Similarly, Redshift doesn't support nesting natively. So we'll need to denest some of the data to put it into Redshift. Now, if we're loading data into uh, BigQuery or Snowflake, they have different data types. They, they support nesting natively, so we, we do slightly different things. Um, but we don't have the ability for people to do arbitrary transformations uh, that you might expect if you're coming from something like uh, Informatica. And the, re the reason we think that makes sense is because Informatica was built uh, when things like Redshift and BigQuery didn't exist. So the data warehouses were... Uh, dramatically more expensive, they were not elastically scalable, uh, and they weren't as powerful. And so now with these amazing things that we have access to, we think it makes sense to move a lot of that workload from the data pipeline into the data warehouse. Uh, and that has lots of benefits in terms of analytical flexibility uh, and time to value that happy to talk about more, but that's the general philosophy of, of where we move data. Okay, so 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 you move data around and you move it between these APIs into the kind of the, these these cloud-based data warehouses. <clears throat> you've got the I suppose you've got the kind of the the IP around um, knowing how to get data out of these kind of sources. You've got the IP around loading it into these new platforms. Um, yeah, what what does I suppose who would who's the target market for this product in terms of I suppose kind of user personas and uh, and and um, types of customer. I mean, it sounds like e-commerce is the is the market you aim at, but what kind of user persona and, and and a customer typically do you kind of sell into? Yeah, the we, we've done a lot of work looking at our users and the people who, you know, our, our message resonates the most with. And the number one for us is definitely uh, the engineer. Uh, and at, at a bigger company, you know, they'll have a title of data engineer. Uh, at a smaller company, you know, it might be just, you know, one engineer who with 30% of their time is responsible for the data infrastructure and data engineering type tasks. Um, so uh, in, a, in a minority of cases, the analyst will be the one using us directly. Uh, but you know, typically, we're, we're tasked with being the, the tool that's used by the person who's responsible for provisioning the data for analytics, which tends to be a member of the, the technical team. Um, and you mentioned e-commerce. You're 100% right that that is uh, one of our top markets. We also sell to lots of SaaS companies and online gaming. I think it's, it's generally people who you know, haven't been around for multiple decades, so they don't already have an uh, infrastructure of something like Informatica that we're ripping out. It's mostly people that we're replacing either their homegrown scripts or they're really getting serious about analytics for the first time uh, and using something like us for that. Okay, so so I mean, and so you, we, Jake and I talked about Airflow, Apache Airflow, as being uh, a technology that was sort of in a similar space as, uh, as as what you're saying there. I mean, how, how does what you're doing compare to Airflow, really? Just to put yeah, it in context. Uh Sure. And Airflow is like a, a really cool and very impressive project. Um, and it's it's targeting at a slightly different use case than us. Um, so I actually, uh, you know, I, I've, I've visited some customers and prospects who use Airflow. And I think uh, my understanding, uh, and I should, I should say up front, I'm not an Airflow expert. Uh, but it, it seems like it's really well catered to... Um, organizations that have a very large number of interdependent ETL jobs. Uh, so I think when I was listening to, uh, you know, Maxime's episode uh, uh, on your podcast, he was talking about, you know, at Facebook and Airbnb, there was, you know, something like 40,000 ETL jobs that needed to happen every day. Uh, and I think when you have a situation like that, when you get to uh, that scale, you absolutely need something like Airflow to manage those dependencies, uh, visualize that, help you understand, you know, which things need to happen uh, for that. Uh, I think we're supporting 
supporting a somewhat different use case where uh, you know it's primarily around around getting the data from external data sources into that one centralized place. Um, the other thing I, I should mention, which um, I'm sure we'll probably get to uh, a little bit later, is that we uh, have an open source project called Singer, uh, which integrates, we, we were actually, our developer evangelist Ashley wrote a great blog post on how to integrate Singer with Airflow. Uh, and it's something where, um, you know, so it's it's somewhat of a different, uh, it, it's, handling, it's handling more of the dependent management, uh, excuse me, uh, dependency management and scheduling uh, aspect of it, where we're more of the data extraction uh, element of it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, so, so you focus on 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 also SaaS kind of sources as well. I mean, you, I don't know if you heard a talk called SnapLogic. I mean, SnapLogic again is a similar. We had we had, um, we had a guy from SnapLogic on a while ago on here talking about their product, and they were again working in this kind of application space and so on. Do you see yourself in a similar market to that, or is it different? I mean, how would you compete? How would you compare with say SnapLogic, for example? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh- SnapLogic, I would say there, there are elements of what uh, we do and they do that are competitive and some elements which are, are different. Um, I, I think some of the key ways uh, which is different uh, are, are that uh, my understanding is that SnapLogic was kind of built as an on-premise tool, which uh, you can then now run in their cloud as well, um, which I think has a, a, just a number of implications for what the user experience is like. Uh, and, and I think it's also, uh, that's a tool that is uh, doing what, what I would call application integration as well as data integration. So, so they're piping from you know Salesforce to Workday and and vice versa, uh, and we're uh, we're entirely focused on the analytical use case where it's get data from all your data sources into your centralized uh, data warehouse to power analytics, uh, and and I think they also do a lot with you know transformation in the data pipeline, which none of that is a bad thing, um, but I think it's targeted at um, you know I think they're trying to do frankly, more things than we are. So our goal, I think if you need the use case that we support, getting all your data into your data warehouse, I think we're a uh, you know, much faster time to value and much more focused tool. Um, but if you need some of the things that are out of scope for us, uh, you know, I, I haven't used the tool personally, but uh, I think there's a, a lot of areas where they play where we're not, uh, it's out of scope for us. Okay, okay. So, so for, 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 for Stitch then, what's the, I suppose, what's the kind of the problem that it solves that hadn't been solved before um, that has motivated people to pay money to sort of to, to use you really? I mean, is there a particular niche or a particular un, unserved market in the past or type of user that you've kind of focused in on really that we could be, you know, to, to describe really? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something where, like, to some extent, people have been, you know, solving this problem in various ways for uh, decades. It's just they've been solving it in candidly kind of a, a crappy way. Um, and, you know, by far our biggest competition is uh, people writing ETL scripts internally and, you know, putting them up on whether it's an EC2 box or a dedicated box uh, to have them run on a cron job. Uh, and, you know, uh, part of the rationale behind us building Singer is that, uh, you know, we actually don't think the hard part of this is building the script that pulls data out of uh, some API. You know, I think any reasonably competent developer uh, can can do that in, if not a day, then a week or two. Um, the challenging thing is to make this work, make it work at scale, make it work reliably forever. Um, so uh, you can imagine, you know, I think when 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 you look at the modern analytics uh, stack. Uh, people are using these cloud data warehouses. They're using some of these next-gen uh, visualization and BI tools, things like Looker, things like Mode and Periscope and Chartio. Um, there's really a, a hole in that stack, which is that those are fantastic tools that sit on top of uh, a data warehouse. 
Um, but they don't really answer the question of how do you get the data into the data warehouse. Uh, and the other thing that's really key for that is that all those tools assume that they're sitting on top of raw, untransformed data. Uh, so whether it's LookML or modes, definitions, features, or, or Periscope scheduled jobs, all those are tools that they built to, you know, where they define the transformations in the models in either SQL or a language that compiles down to SQL. Uh, and that's all depending on having that raw data there. So having that just, you know, very focused tool where people can, in, you know, this happens literally every day where someone signs up and is, uh, has the our system configured in a couple of minutes, uh, having that and then just having that data flow uh, to enable that next generation workflow is really where we saw a hole in the market and where we're focused. Okay, okay. So I mean, I had a, I had a similar conversation with uh, Pat from Streamsets a little while ago, and he was talking about the challenges of, um, I suppose, running this at scale. I mean, what given given that you said there that the um, we'll get on to kind of singing in a moment, singing in a moment. Given that you said that the the challenge is not getting data out, or, or it's kind of doing it at scale. What what is it particularly about doing things at scale that people wouldn't perhaps kind of appreciate if they're trying to do it themselves the first time that you've solved through this? Really, I mean, what where's the where's the kind of the I suppose the real value? The unique IP and what you're doing, really. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, yeah. And, and I think it's um, you know if you've ever set up one of these systems, uh, which I'm, I'm sure you have in, in some of your previous life, uh, it's that there uh, things can only go wrong with ETL, uh, and you know, and there's a, just a huge number of things that can go wrong. You know, you can be using the credentials of someone who loses access because they change their job or they change their role. Uh, you know, uh, scheduling gets missed up. The data volume grows 10x in one day. Uh, there's, um, you know, there's not enough hardware provision. There's hardware over provisioned. Uh, there are, you lose credentials on writing to the end destination. You're sending so much data to the end destination that it becomes unavailable. Like the, the list goes on of all the different ways, uh, the f- potential failure modes. Um, and, you know, there's, we employ a lot of, you know, technology behind the scenes that our goal is that our customers don't need to worry about, uh, uh or think about, you know, we've got fleets of Docker containers running on Kubernetes. We have a high availability high availability Kafka cluster. Uh, we're doing all these things to ensure that data is not lost and that and it gets there. Uh, and then there's all this whole element around smart alerting where, uh, you know, there are a lot of these challenges or things are things that are totally intermittent that, you know, someone's redshift cluster may become unavailable for 10 minutes. Uh, so do you uh, tell the user, hey, there's a problem? Uh, or do you check and wait to see if that happens? And, you know, Every time you're alerting them, you're taking them away from their uh, day job, which is building the product or uh, working on some higher value piece of the data infrastructure. So that whole you know, operational alerting, auto scaling, credential management, all, all those things are pieces that we want to make almost uh, invisible to our customers so they can just focus on, you know, it's a complicated problem to get the data out of Salesforce into Redshift, but uh, the part that should be exposed to our customers is authorize the source, authorize the destination, and then go. Okay. Okay. So, so it's interesting you say about you don't do any transformation because that that is you know someone coming from the world of ETL tools to not handle transformations is is, is it, it would be a, a counterintuitive sort of thing really. And even I guess with um, the world I came from was the world of Oracle where. Um, in that case, they would call it ELT. You know, you'd load data, yeah. you'd, you'd load data into the platform, and then you transform it in place. So the argument, I guess, about those 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 uh, those kind of elastic um, data warehouse platforms, they've got the power to do it, but you leave it to them. I mean, it, it, it seems like quite a conscious choice to not do the transformation side. Is that something you think you might cover in the end, or is it something? Is it a deliberate choice? You're not going to do that at all, really. So our 
It really is a deliberate choice, and, and I think ELT is, is a good term, and, and it's something that, that we talk about internally, and sometimes we, we actually describe it as, excuse me, uh, ETLT, um, because there is a little bit of transformation that has to happen before loading. Um, and I think we, we look at it as saying, okay, you know, we have these, these amazing new tools, Let's let's uh, and and this workflow that they enable is is really powerful because now the analysts have access to the raw data as well as the transform data, uh, and the other thing that we see a lot, which we think this the ELT workflow enables that that's difficult in the old way of doing things, uh, is that you have one data warehouse with raw data, and then you have transformations that are specific to whatever tool is consuming that data uh, in that same data warehouse because you might have a BI tool, uh, you might have different BI tools for different parts of the organization, you might have a recommendation engine. Uh, you might have uh, something that's um, segmenting emails. So all those things may require very different transformations. And if that transformation happens prior to loading, uh, then you're, you're losing data. Um, so having that raw data there enables flexibility in use. Uh, and, you know, there are, uh, we're certainly not, I would say, like, religiously or categorically opposed to never doing any additional transformations. It's something we just try to be very, very uh, critical about uh, because, uh, and you know, one of the things we do do is like we enable people to select which objects and fields come over. Uh, so I wouldn't call that transformation, but you know, some people have you know thousands and thousands of objects in their Salesforce instance. Uh, we need not all that necessarily makes sense to put in the data warehouse, so we let them pre-select that. But in terms of you know doing pre-aggregated computations and things like that, we think that's a tool that's that's better done uh, inside the data warehouse itself. Yeah, totally agree. I think the fact that the, the, it's that classic kind of scheme one read uh, sort of setup, really, isn't it? Where you want to load data in and then it's transformed in, and, and I suppose kind of consumed in different ways, really. So it totally makes sense. And I think, again, having listened to the conversation again I had with uh, with Tristan, I went back and looked at DBT and I can see now how the two tools work together. I think it's quite a good kind of mix. You've got quite a good match you've got really between the two things there. So, um, I mean, that makes sense. So you mentioned earlier on about Singer. So tell us about what Singer is and how it relates to, uh, to, uh, to, stitch, to stitch the product you've got. Sure. Yeah, Singer, uh, it's something that we launched publicly in March of this year, but we've been working on it for a lot longer than that. Um, the, the genesis behind it was, so like I mentioned, we have uh, 64 different data sources that we support today. Uh, we have, you know, like lots of different companies, we have, uh, you know, feedback forms where we're tr constantly trying to get uh, ideas and, and suggestions and criticisms from our customers. And when we tallied up all the data sources that had been suggested, and this is probably six months ago, uh, you know, there were over 500. Uh, and then when we scan the market and feel like, what are all like the realistic things we might want to integrate with someday? Uh, you know, there is this uh, infographic that Chief Martech puts out uh, every year, just surveying the marketing technology landscape, and there were you know over five thousand of those. Um, so there's just a, a whole lot of different data sources, and we, uh, with some regularity, find prospects and customers who say, "Hey, Stitch is exactly what I need. It's perfect." Um, but you guys only cover nine out of the 10 data sources that I need. Uh, and that 10th one, it's super specific to my industry. It's you know a, a CRM that's customized for auto dealerships uh, or, or whatever it is, but it's critical for them. And a tool that doesn't do that is really challenging for them to you know migrate wholesale onto that tool. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, a lot of our customers are engineers uh, and they're very comfortable with writing codes. So we've gotten people asking us like, hey, can I just uh, write, uh, the interface for this one API and you guys run it for me. 
Uh, and it was something where we got that request enough and we really thought through our long-term product strategy and we thought, uh, you know, this is something that's really powerful where we have people that want to, uh, you know, in some ways they want an SDK for extending our product, um, but let's take it further than an SDK uh, because we don't want this to be something only that runs in our infrastructure. We want these to be usable and useful outside of the context of Stitch. So that really drove the uh, decision about the architecture of Singer. So Singer, um, it's an open source project uh, and it's made up of two components. Um, the, there's taps, which are things that pull data from data sources and that's a self, uh, it's an executable program. And there's targets, which send data to destinations. And the core of Singer is actually the, the format for communication between taps and targets. And the idea is that uh, if you need data sent to a new destination, uh, you can write one target and then that will automatically work with anything that's written to the Singer spec, any of the taps. Uh, and so there's now 18 uh, different taps that have been built by the community. Uh, this is an addition to the you know 10 or so that Stitch has built ourselves and we're migrating the remainder of our 60 connections to this um, open source uh, Singer tap framework. Uh, and the idea is that now, you know, there's things for sending data to CSV, they're sending data to Google Sheets, where, uh, there's one that the community's working on for sending data to S3 specifically. Uh, I think there's people working on Kinesis. So the idea is that if you need data sent to something that Stitch doesn't support yet, uh, you can use the open source project. Uh, or let's say you want to run it on your own hardware. Um, you can, again, uh, use the open source project for that, and uh, you know our product will get better by contributions from the community. Uh, and the nice thing also is that any tap written to the Singer spec, uh, we can basically put that into the Stitch product without too much work, and then anyone who uses that gets uh, to use our, our graphical user interface and all the other benefits I mentioned before, like auto-scaling, credential management, scheduling, and, and whatnot. Okay, so could, could people construct a, a, a solution just out of kind of Singer, or, is, or are these always just going to be kind of inputs into your main kind of pro, into your main platform? Is it, does, it, does it work standalone, really? It does work standalone. So let's say you want to get data out of, um, you know, let's say Marketo and put it into a CSV file. Uh, you can run that entirely on your laptop or you know an EC2 box that you control. Um, it has nothing to do with Stitch, the company. Uh, you can run that, get your data in, and then do whatever you'd like to with that data. Okay, okay. I mean, actually, I played around with it yesterday. I went to the, uh, the GitHub repository and played around with the Facebook kind of integration. And uh, yeah, oh, I mean, nice. it's um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, so that must have been quite an interesting conversation having internally. I mean, every company at some point probably thinks about open sourcing some of their stuff. And sometimes that's almost a kind of, I'm not saying it's in your case, but a last desperate throw of the dice with a product that isn't selling. Mm. Sometimes it can be a core kind of decision and so on. It must have been quite an interesting conversation to have internally. It must have been kind of pros and cons on that. Yeah, it was really interesting. And, and you know, fortunately, we, we were able to do it from a position of strength. And, you know, we have actually more than quadrupled our customer account in the past year. Um, but uh, and it was something where a part of our conversation was like, you know, we've got something that's working. Do we really want to risk messing it up? Um, but uh, I think when we, we really thought about it, you know, if if we actually have the courage of our convictions and believe that, you know, writing that initial script to pull the data out is because, you know, as you can imagine, if you're selling something to engineers, a lot of times their question is, okay, why don't I build this myself? Uh, and, you know, in the past we would say, oh, it's harder than you think, or, you know, you're, you're going to do this, but then, you know, the CEO is relying on the dashboards. You really want to um, get the call while you're on vacation to make sure the data is up. And so that, that's one argument we make. But now we say, uh, 
not only are we not worried about you building it yourself, we will give you the code to do it yourself. Um, and we are confident that you know if you do that, we're going to add enough value beyond that um, where you're going to find it. And, and honestly, we're totally fine with if not everybody in the, in the world is using our hosted paid product. I mean, we have a free version as well for low data volumes, and we think it's great if a lot of people are are using the, uh, the product on their own hardware and not paying us a penny because they'll, like I said, contribute through open source contributions or um, uh, just increase uh, the number of people who are using and contributing uh, to the integrations. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that leads on quite nicely to, um, I suppose, a question around kind of business models and so on. So, you're, you, you've got a product which, um, <clears throat> I mean, we, you know, we're considering using Stitch in a company I'm working at at the moment, and we currently right. put most of our stuff through uh, through Google, Google, sorry, Google Cloud Platform. And mm-hmm. I guess, I guess, competing or, or existing in a world where you've got these big cloud platforms, uh, you know, Google, AWS, Oracle, Azure, and so on, where a lot of these companies have their own integration solutions running part of the platform, and you're selling something which doesn't sort of sit in those same platforms. I mean, what's it like running a software company in this world of these big cloud players where they're both competition and they are um, partners and uh, they offer their own services? I mean, how have you found that really? It's really, uh, it's very tricky. Uh, and mm. I think you, you keyed yeah. into the exact right issue because, uh, you know, we have uh, all these people that we're in, uh, you know, we call it sometimes co-opetition with. Yeah, same uh, company where, I'm at the moment. Yeah, you compete and your, your partners as well. They run your platform, but they also compete with you. Exactly. And, and you know, I remember, um, you know, we're, we're in the partner programs, you know, with Google and Amazon and, and all the rest of them. Uh, and, you know, everyone's, you know, Amazon, AWS came out with Glue and, uh, you know, Google has the data transfer service. Uh, and, there's, um, you know, they provide varying levels of support and heads up. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, certain of these folks are like, you know, very interested in being totally transparent with you and here's where we're going and here's where we're not going. Other times, you know, we find out about something when they announce it at their show and, you know, they, they, don't, they don't care much. Um, I think what we've found is that the helpful thing is to really try to understand what their business goals are and their priorities are uh, and use that to inform our strategy because, I don't think we can rely on them, uh, you know, not competing with us because they like us and because we're great partners. You know, they're, they're always going to try to fulfill their business goals, which I understand, and I would never ask to do anything differently. Uh, so we have tried to use that to inform our strategy. Is like, what, what does it make sense for a independent company to do? And if you look at what you know Google does with data transfer service, you know, they're pulling data from. Google data sources into BigQuery, uh, which makes sense. Um, but you know, Google data sources are you know I, I don't know what the number is off the top of my head. Probably less than five percent of uh, our usage of connectors. Um, so our philosophy is if people test that out and they have an interest in you know once once you get your AdWords data in, you're probably going to want your Facebook data as well, and you're probably going to want your big data, and you're probably going to want your Twitter ads and LinkedIn and, and all the rest. Um, so we think uh, it is something where we have to make sure you know it's not a death by a thousand cuts thing. Uh, and in the short term, it actually has been a, 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 a catalyst for more people wanting the kind of thing we do. Um, but we need to make sure we're providing enough value uh, above and beyond what they offer. You know, in some cases for free, or in some cases uh, just at, at the cost of machines, uh, because they're trying to drive more usage of their other products. So it's very interesting. It- 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's. I mean, a, a, little, a little while ago, I was I was saying there wasn't really <clears throat> there wasn't really an ETL solution for, for in the cloud with these platforms. You had you had some good kind of uh, BI uh, vendors out there, BI tools like Looker, for example, we mentioned, but there didn't seem to be much uh, in the in the way of ETL. But and certainly, if you look at um, you know what Google are doing with say cloud data flow, it's very kind of engineer focused and it's very kind yep. of coding and so on there. And and Glue it sounds good, but Glue isn't out yet. There isn't really a kind of graphical environment out there for moving data around and there isn't really an end-to-end solution and I think that's where I think that's where your product comes into it really I mean if you think about it it doesn't it doesn't sound on paper like there's much more between say cloud data flow and what you do but when you look at it there's, a, there's an environment there's a kind of graphical tools there there's uh, those different sources there's a lot more to what you do really isn't there yeah and it's it's really uh you know, I think on its face, you know, they're, they're, those are tools that can be used for ETL and we're, we're a tool that can be used for ETL. But in, in how we're used and what the user experience is like and the problems we're focused on solving, there, there's really like a, a world of difference between them. And, you know, I don't think anyone is spinning up uh, cloud data flow and getting their data moving in two minutes. Um, and similarly, if you want to, you know, orchestrate some highly customized transformation and data cleanup project, uh, Stitch is not the right tool for that job, but cloud data flow could be great. Um, so I think in, in a lot of ways there, uh, I think Glue in particular and, and cloud data flow to an extent as well, you know, that's, they're much more focused on uh, the T portion of ETL and, you know, they have elements of, of extraction and loading as well. Um, but in, I think they're more compliments than competitors. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a different, uh, proposition, uh, and targeting a different kind of problem. Uh, so we actually rarely compete with them head on. Yeah, sure. Um, so we I say we had um, stream sets on a while ago, and uh, Pat from mm-hmm. uh, Pat from there was talking about they, they, their product largely runs on premise, and um, and I was saying to them, well, you know, why why don't you run in the cloud? Why don't you offer it as a sort of like a service? And his point was, and it's obviously there's always an element here of making a virtue of necessity, but saying that well, the problem with running uh, data integration in the cloud is that you're always moving data between clouds, and, and or either from on premise to cloud and so on, and and it's not as easy as you think, really. I mean, I suppose for yourself with 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 um, with Stitch, is running your ETL or running your data transformation service in the cloud and different clouds to everybody else, is it kind of an issue at all? Is it Does it cause problems around sort of moving data around the speed of it? Is, is there a problem there or is it just one of those things that you just solve? So in, in some ways I agree with him, in some ways I disagree. Um, Latency is a really important element of this because, um, you know, if you think about the end customer problem, they want to be either driving some operational workflow or making a decision or getting visibility in, you know, without too much of a delay. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a really important thing. Uh, in our experience, the sources of latency tend not to be just moving bytes. Um, it tends to be, you know, we're pulling from a database that's underpowered or we're hitting, you know, the, the NetSuite API is, you know, much slower than some of the other APIs we work with. Uh, and, and that's just a, a function of, you know, we send a request and we get a response. And with some APIs, it takes, uh, you know, half a millisecond. In some APIs, it takes three seconds. Uh, and so that's where we see more of the latency coming from, just, you know, how, how fast of a response they come from. Uh, and some of this may just be a function of we're targeting different customers, us in stream sets. Uh, but for the customers we target, uh, a very small minority of their data is on premise and their data warehouse is virtually never on premise. Like we, we send data to, uh, Postgres, which can obviously be hosted on prem or in the cloud. Uh, but you know, if you're pulling data from, you know, your, 
AWS uh, virtual private cloud and you're host- pulling from a bunch of uh, you know EC2 servers and uh, third-party SaaS uh, services, uh, you know having your thing run on-premise is not actually going to you know, uh, the data is coming from the cloud. So having the, the data processing happen on-premise is not going to speed anything up. Okay, okay. So okay, earlier on we talked about um, <clears throat> getting engineers to pay for this kind of thing and to, and to convince them that it was worth getting another product in as opposed to writing it themselves. How do you convince a data engineer to go and buy your product rather than go and code it themselves, really? Um, I mean, that must be an interesting challenge. It, it is tricky, and our approach is really to, um, you know, we want to sell and provide the kind of product experience that we believe engineers and looking at the engineers on our team uh, want to use. Uh, so one of our big focuses is enabling an entirely touchless experience. So we have salespeople and support people who are, you know, there to work with customers that uh, want a higher touch experience, but. Um, one of our design criteria when designing Stitch in the first place was we want a developer in New Zealand to sign up at you know 3:10 a.m. our time and to be getting value before 3:15 a.m. our time, uh, and you know we don't want to do that by having um, you know people uh, around the world uh, on staff 24/7. Although I'm sure we will do that eventually, uh, but you know you can use it entirely self-service. We have you know phenomenal documentation. We have uh, an awesome person on our team, Aaron, who focuses on that all day every day, um, and. and you know, it's the sort of thing where there's a unlimited free trial. We have a free tier, so we're trying to encourage people. You know, like this is something that is rarely, you know, priority number one for an engineer and their personal growth. Like there are really high value, really complicated data engineering projects, uh, but getting data out of Salesforce and into Redshift isn't one of them. Um, you know, there are things to support the data infrastructure, to operationalize data science uh, recommendations. Like those are all things that you should have your best team members working on. Uh, a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, ETL code is things that are written by an intern uh, over the summer as their project, or you're taking you know a, a really high performing engineer off of building your core product uh, and doing this. So it's actually rare that people are uh, unhappy about giving this up. You know, you see that from time to time. Uh, I think what what our challenge is really like proving to them that you know we're something you can count on and it's going to work virtually all the time and if there's a problem we're going to give you the right notification at the right time so you can take the right action uh, because what, what the, the value we're really providing is uh, you know you don't have to think about this anymore it'll just work uh, and I think that that does resonate a lot uh, with the folks that that hear that argument. Yeah, I can imagine. So, so we had I had Gwen Shapiro on here recently from uh, Confluent as well, and and as you're no doubt aware, the the <clears throat> the latest new thing is around data pipelines and uh, and and tools and technologies to support that. What, what's your view on data pipelines? Is that is that a new way of doing this kind of work? Is it just an extension of what you do? Is it a different kind of use case being solved? And what what's your views on that? Yeah, I think uh, you know different people use that term and mean different things. Uh, I should say we we think the world of Kafka and Confluent as a company. We use Kafka internally, and it's it's a really valuable part of our stack. Uh, I, I think data pipelines. I would consider what we do as like a a certain kind of data pipeline. Like you might have data pipelines that are serving data for a variety of different purposes, and ours is just really well tailored to 
our you know the, the data integration uh, supporting analytics use case. Um, and, and like an example of that is so at the core of our system is you know a real time beta, data uh, excuse me a real time data pipeline built on Kafka uh, with a variety of other uh, technologies and you know homegrown code. Uh, and then on each end of the stack we have uh, things that basically convert it from real time to batch. Uh, in some cases where it depends on what data is coming from. So on the front end, we're, if we're listening for webhooks, we, that is purely streaming and we listen for those events as they come in. Uh, if we're pulling from uh, you know, certain APIs that we know have better performance characteristics where you pull in a large batch rather than you know, pull in many small batches, we'll batch it up that way. Similarly, when we're loading into a data warehouse, like you don't want to send you know, separately uh, a million requests to Redshift, each with one data point, uh, because that's going to cluster and, and kill your performance. So we'll save those up and commit all all million of them in one operation. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of the data pipelines, like the central component, you want similar things. You want it to be scalable. You want it to be extremely low latency. And then the actual connectors to where it's coming from and where it's sending to, that's where you get into a lot more of the specific optimizations for that use case. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and so, for, if, if you were a dev- if I was a developer and <clears throat> I wanted to kind of get enabled with uh, with, with Stitch and um, and potentially sort of sing up, I mean, is it something you can do independent of a, a, a big company signing up? Is there a developer program, or is there some way that somebody can get, learn the skills in advance of kind of doing a job in this kind of area? Oh sure. Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. I mean, if you want to kick the tires with Stitch, it's something where. Uh, there's lots of data sources that we support that you probably don't necessarily need corporate approval for. Like we can pull data from Trello uh, or Google Analytics if you have a personal website. Um, you know, obviously it all also goes up to things like NetSuite and Zora, which uh, you know may be a more formal process to get approval, but it's you know it's trivial to grant access as long as you have the right credentials. Uh, and then the other element of you know sometimes getting things done in a company is billing, uh, where you know we have I think like I mentioned before that free trial for two weeks where you don't need to. Um, you don't need to enter a credit card, and then we also have that free tier for low data volumes, where you can just use it uh, on a hobby basis, and it's basically just for five million uh, rows of data or events every month, you can just kick the tires. Uh, and then with Singer as well, uh, if you go to the, the website, it's just Singer.io, uh, it has links there to join our uh, our Singer Slack group, uh, where there's a lot of folks that are either using or building integrations on Singer. I think it's up to 165 people or so uh, today, uh, and. You know, sometimes it's questions on, hey, I'm trying to run it and I get this error, or hey, I'm building it, you know, what's the best way to use this library that's provided? Uh, so that that's filled with people from our team as well as people from the community who have built, uh, built other integrations. Uh, and that's a nice, easy way to kick the tires. And the other thing I should say is that Singer, uh, you know, we have a couple different targets that are, you know, well suited for development, like you know, sending data to CSV, you can just very easily inspect what it's producing. Uh, there's also a Stitch target, obviously. So if you want to send data to Stitch, and then you can use our built-in reporting uh, and visualization uh, interface, uh, not visualize the data itself, but understand what are the data flows, what are the error messages you're getting, uh, things like that to help you uh, optimize your development experience. Okay. Okay. So, so while I've got you, while I've got you on the on the on the episode, I mean, I'm interested to talk to you about where this stuff is going in the future. And and as a CEO of a uh, data integration company working in this kind of new world, I'm wondering, yeah, what was your thoughts about? Um, I suppose the next unsolved problem that you're you're you want to solve, really. So, um, I mean, as, as a kind of throwing it out there, really. I mean, what's the thing you think you you sound like you've done well with what you're doing so far? But what's the next thing that you want to solve in this area, or, or the next thing that hasn't been solved in this part of the industry around sort of data integration in this world? Do you think? Yeah, I um, 
I'll maybe answer that in two ways, if that's okay. Uh, w- one of them is uh, it's just more of Singer. Um, you know, it's it's part of it is you know converting the rest of our infrastructure over to Singer and giving people access to that. Uh, so that that's one of our big priorities and, and things where we think you know the more integrations there are, the more it'll get used, the more critical mass and positive feedback loop will be created. Um, the other one, which is something that we're we've been putting a lot of thought into, is that uh, you know. Uh, one thing that I'm really fond of saying is that uh, Stitch uh, and tools like us uh, were completely useless on our own. Um, you know, no one should just use us uh, because we're we're a thing to take data from one place and put it in somewhere else, or potentially take data from many places and put it in a few places. Um, and so, obviously, you know, there are we're, we're always used in conjunction with. Uh, data warehouse to send data to. We're pulling data from different data sources. There's typically a BI or some other tool sitting on top of the end result to analyze the data. So uh, people are almost always evaluating us in conjunction with other things. Sometimes they're buying us at the same time. They're often using us in, together with those tools. And there's so many different products out there that are made better uh, by access to the data from other tools. Uh, so a big thing we think about is that how do we improve that joint user experience? Because, you know, we, like any software company, we're thinking a lot about the user experience of our customers. How do we make it better? Uh, but we're also thinking about how do we how do we make it better for the person who's using uh, Looker N-Stitch or Chartio N-Stitch or Redshift N-Stitch? Uh, and it, it's something where, you know, we have some ideas and, you know, new APIs that we're coming out with uh, to enable, you know, third-party developers to both get information and take action uh, in Stitch uh, when people are using both products together. Um, but I think that's uh, what we see as a really big problem that's unsolved in our industry that we want to help people do uh, is not just when use us alone, but use us to get other products in, in a really great way. Okay. Okay. So a lot of the people on this, as a last question, a lot of people on this, on this, listening to this podcast would come from a kind of old school ETL world, um, thinking about things like data lineage and metadata, master data management, all these kind of, you know, old school techniques and, and things that are very important in that, I suppose, more the corporate and old school world really. I mean, are these, are these topics that you find people are talking about now in, in this new world of e-commerce and cloud? Are they things that you won't be, we should be looking at in the future, or are they less relevant now? Now that things are moving so fast and so on, really. Uh, I think they're definitely relevant. I, I think it's really it, it comes down to business goals. Um, you know, it comes down to when you're, uh, and it depends on the organization you're at. Uh, you know, which of those things take more precedence? You know, in some cases, speed is the thing you should be optimizing for. In some cases. You know, you're dealing with healthcare data, uh, and you need to have the right controls, and you need to be HIPAA compliant. And it doesn't matter how fast or how great the user experience of some tool is, if it's not HIPAA compliant, you can't use it. Um, so, I think it really uh, depends on you know what the goals of the project and the organization you're at are. Um, you know, those are things which candidly, like you know, if you need a great tool for master data management, you know, Stitch is not that. Um, you know, there are there are a lot of great tools out there that are that are really good at that, and it's also like. You know, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Like, uh, there's um, a company that's you know not too far away from us in the Philly suburbs called Boomi, which is now a subsidiary of Dell, where they have a real focus around master data management and you know making sure that uh, you know their competitors with folks like um, you know MuleSoft and uh, and SnapLogic to some extent. Um, where they're, you know, making sure that when, you know, one tool says that, you know, this is the canonical list of our customers, that every other tool says that as well. Uh, and there's a lot of intelligence that needs to go into that. There's a lot of, you know, uh, judgment calls that need to go into that. So I, I think, um, and, you know, it's the same sort of story with, with lineage and controls and, you know, audit trails and things like that. Uh, so it's something that, 
uh, we think about, and it's important to have like the right tool for the job for each of those things because uh, you can't ignore it. Um, and it just, uh, you know, you also shouldn't overinvest in it when you're early in your life cycle um, because, you know, if you're trying to validate that your company can work or that you can scale from, you know, two people to 10 people or, you know, 1 million to 2 million, you might not need a master data management solution then. Uh, but if you're a bigger organization, that's probably a critical thing for you. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <clears throat> it's been great speaking to you. I mean, how, how will people find out more about Stitch and about Singer and the things that you do? What's the, what's the website address and what are the kind of key resources on there to have a look at? Sure. Um, so uh, Stitch website is just stitchdata.com. Uh, Singer is singer.io. Um, we put a lot of the stuff that's coming out uh, from us, both about Stitch and Singer, on our blog, which is just blog.stitchdata.com. It's on Medium. Uh, and, um, you know, you can, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Jake Stein, uh, and the, the stitch, uh, Twitter is at stitch underscore data. Um, so that's where, uh, probably the best places to find out more about us. And, uh, and also if anyone has follow up questions, you know, feel free to, to reach out to me. I'm also just, uh, Jake at stitchdata.com if anyone, uh, like to talk. Jake, that's fantastic. Well, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about um, Stitch and, uh, and Singer. Um, yeah, it's been great speaking to you and thank you very much and uh, take care and thanks for coming on the show. It was so much fun. Thanks again, Mark. <laughs>